Welcome to the Elk Talk Podcast with Randy Newberg and Corey Jacobson. Presented by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. The goal is what little you and I know about elk hunting, we share with people. I've got an elk building, it's like 120 yards away, what do I do? First off, the thought would never cross my mind when an elk being 120 yards away to call anybody <laughs> on a cell phone. <laughs> All elk. All the time. Only elk. Only elk. Well, it's us having conversations. So we usually go down some rabbit holes. But if you hunt with Corey Jacobson, you will find the landscape is full of rabbit holes. We're just going to make this up as we go. And you look at it like, oh, that's a target rich environment. But if you're trying to single one out, a solo target there is much easier to go into than a, a big group. We record everything, so there's no BS and no lying, no faking it with us. <laughs> Did we hit the record I button? I forgot to hit the record <laughs> button. If you want to know something about elk hunting, this probably isn't the podcast to listen to. <laughs> Should we give them a list of all the other podcasts wow. where they might learn something? <laughs> The Elk Talk Podcast is brought to you by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, ensuring the future of elk, other wildlife, their habitat, and our hunting heritage. To become a member, go to rmef.org. The Elk Talk Podcast is also brought to you by Mountain Ops, making outdoor energy and performance nutrition to make you a stronger and healthier elk hunter. They have a full line of hunting-related supplements, including meal replacement shakes, multivitamins, pre-workout fuel, and post-workout recovery, and my favorite, their new performance protein bars that, by the way, are packed with 270 calories and 20 grams of protein, but contain less than 6 grams of sugar. Visit mountainops.com to learn more and to order, and be sure to use the promo code ELKTALK to save on your next order. The podcast is also brought to you by Gerber. Uh, go to gerbergear.com and learn about the knives, the vital, the big game vital, the Gator Premium, all the things that we use when we're out in the woods, and not just knives, but also some really cool multi-tools that they have. And we have a promo code for Gerber as well. Just use the code ELKTALK to save 20% on your orders at gerbergear.com. And we are also brought to you by Rocky Mountain Hunting Calls. And Rocky Mountain Hunting Calls is the original designer and inventor of the pallet plate diaphragm that's completely changed the way elk calls are made and used. And to find out more and to order your elk calls, go to RockyMountainHuntingCalls.com or BuglingBull.com and use promo code ELKTALK and you're going to save 15% on all of your elk calls and elk call accessories. The Elk Talk Podcast is also brought to you by GoHunt.com. Uh, go to GoHunt.com and sign up for the Insider. The Insider is changing how hunts and hunting information are found. No doubt about that. Use promo code ELKTALK, and when you do, when you sign up for the Insider, you're going to get $50 of store credit, mad money, in their gear shop. Lastly, the University of Elk Hunting online course is a proud partner of the Elk Talk podcast. And within the University of Elk Hunting online course, you're going to find nearly 60 chapters organized in 17 modules of elk hunting instruction aimed at making you a more successful elk hunter. From planning and e-scouting to calling strategies and packing 
every imaginable elk hunting topic is included in the online course. And regardless of your previous elk hunting experience or success, I'm confident the University of Elk Hunting online course will make you a more confident, more successful elk hunter. Just visit elk101.com and use the promo code ELKTALK to save 20% when you sign up for a membership to the University of Elk Hunting online course. And with that, Corey, we are ready to get into it. Let's jump into it. Hey, Corey, how are you doing? Well, I am uh, I'm running in circles right now, but other than that, being par for the course, I'm doing good. Yeah? You packing, getting ready to go somewhere, I take it? I've been packed for a week. I've just been sitting there all day just staring at my, <laughs> my baggage, looking at it, going, man, when is elk season going to get here? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, well, if you're like me... This is my three days. I got three days in town this week, and our office building that we've been working on since November, we got our certif- certificate of occupancy on oh. Friday. So <clears throat> I've been moving, packing stuff, threatening employee, threatening employees with their employment if they put holes in the new walls. <laughs> and they just looked at me like, yeah, whatever. You threaten us all the time. Uh. Oh, well. But anyhow, you're packing and getting ready to go to the most intriguing archery elk hunt anyone will probably get a chance to watch in the next ag- year. I was going to say, I would agree that's probably accurate. It's uh, yeah. the most intriguing elk hunt I've ever been on. Uh, it's the most highly anticipated and also at the same time most scary elk hunt <laughs> I've ever prepared for. <laughs> Uh, we are uh we're gonna be spending 12 days in the wilderness of alaska uh back in i think the 70s or 80s alaska transplanted some elk they traded some sea otters with the state of oregon and in exchange they got some uh, roosevelt elk and they've also got rocky mountain elk and i'm not sure you know if they've kind of crossbred or if they're kind of found in pockets but we're going to be hunting Roosevelt elk in Alaska for uh, 12 days. True. Yeah. That's, well, <clears throat> I've spent time chasing Sitka blacktails in that country, and I have zero interest in elk hunting that country. Really? Zero. Zero. None. Like, Why? If you could have negative interest, that's how much interest I'd have in archery <laughs> hunting elk in that country. Uh, because I'm getting old and feeble, and my ability to climb through those steep, wet, nasty slopes of big blowdown Sitka spruce interspersed among absolute cactus patches, a devil's club, you know, that you only need to do that three or four times in your life to get your fill of it. So, <laughs> and, and when we shot Sitka blacktail deer, it's a whole lot easier to haul a Sitka blacktail through that country than it will be a 900 pound roosevelt bull elk well and unfortunately they're probably going to be more than 900 pounds from what i gather really they they are they're they're roosevelt obviously roosevelt elk are bigger bodied than rocky mountain elk to begin with but these are roosevelt elk on steroids and uh (laughs) I've, i've talked to guys that have gotten over 500 pounds of boned out meat off of an elk in this area 
<laughs> so it'll be more than one trip packing out an elk. We have uh, Donnie and I both have tags, and we are getting flown into a remote lake and dropped off there. And from there, it's just us and our backpacks for 12 days. Wow. How's Donnie doing? He's doing good. He's yeah. uh, sounds like he's got his energy back. He uh, got bit with a, a flu bug and... <laughs> He uh, is meeting the isolation requirement by one day to be able to go. So, Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> he's a tough guy. I knew that. If you, were, if you would have sent me out on an elk hunt 14 days, 15 days after I supposedly got done with COVID, you could have just well shot me and gutted me. Yeah. And I, yeah. I wouldn't even have been a good fire tender at that point. You know, the, the guy who stays in camp and keeps the fire from going out, I don't think I could have qualified for that job. Some people would no. say I still, at, at this point in my life, I couldn't qualify for that job on my best day. So, you know, uh, I would I would take you in any condition just to help pack my stuff up because we are we're flying into a lake that's just a little over uh, 1,000 feet in elevation. And yeah. then we are climbing to the top of the mountain, which I believe is about 3,500 feet in elevation. And my backpack with my bow on it right now weighs 93 pounds. I don't do 93. I don't either. So we're going to be making two trips. I just, I said, you know what, we'll kill ourselves. It's straight up and down. Yeah. It's covered yeah. in, everything's covered in moss and slippery. In fact, we have crampons that we're going to be wearing and it's, uh, it's going to be an wow. adventure. Crampons. That's kind of like chains on your four-wheel drive and a winch. Kind you know, of, but it also what, it has it has chains you, and spikes on it. <laughs> yeah, you you kind of get to a point where you say, "Well, kind of here all by myself. Do I really want to chain up? Because if I get stuck with my chains on, then I'm really stuck." Yeah, I've seen people Let's, take off from the from the get-go with chains on, and I thought that is. That's an accident waiting to happen there. You don't put chains on until it's worst case scenario. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Huh. <clears throat> well, I'll be really interested to check in with you about September 15th or so. Yeah. And and hear this story. I, I think we're just going to, I'm not going to talk to you until we can record a podcast <laughs> as it goes, because I just think that's, that, that I'll get way more flavor out of it if I, hear it on the podcast the first time yep i think there will be flavor i uh there's more brown bears and wolves in this particular mm -hmm. area than there are elk uh mm -hmm. the average success rate for elk is around two percent last year oh, I, thought, they, I thought it'd be point two yeah well they, there's there's rifle seasons and everything so that's oh. all said and done all the hunts throughout the fall it's uh, 2%. Last year, there was one elk killed with a bow and four killed with a rifle uh, throughout dude with, all of the hunts. Find out who that dude was who killed one with a bow, and let's get him on the podcast. Because that no guy should be, teaching, he should be teaching elk on Exactly. <laughs> I wow. think uh, I talked to the biologist last week, and he said, you know, we're going to be up at the top, like up in the above timberline, subalpine stuff. Uh, and that's, from what I gather, that's where the elk spend the majority of their time until after the rut, then they move down and, and winter down lower. But uh, the biologist said that the guy that killed the elk last year killed it right down by the ocean, down low. Uh, and they were down low, and he's also flown a couple times this year and has seen zero elk. So 
We've got our work cut out for us. What's the estimated population size of Elkhart? 50? Uh, under 200. Yeah. Wow. Well, I remember when we were talking about dream hunts <laughs> five or six years ago, and we we were here in Montana. I was shooting grouse. You were calling in bulls. We were in the high cotton, and you said, man, it'd be cool to go archery hunt those elk in southeast Alaska somewhere. I looked yeah. at you like you'd, you'd lost your mind. Yeah, and you were probably right. Yeah. So, all right. Well, folks, if Corey and Donnie survive, we'll get them on the podcast. I want Donnie on the podcast, too. <laughs> he'll, Donnie he'll, will add some color for sure. <laughs> yeah. I. Yeah. You know, with his uh, funky haircut he's got with that racing stripe down there. Does he still have that going? Yeah, I'm hoping that they tell him that he can't get on the transport plane with that or something we can just cut it off but there you go because you know he if he's got too long of a tail hanging out of that thing it'll get all wrapped up in those devil's club he might hang himself you know well hanging hanging by a mohawk that's right (laughs) a brown bear might see that and be attracted to it (laughs) Uh, well this is uh, you said that when you asked us to do some cameo appearances on Destination Elk Season 4, you said it would be your best, most interesting, compelling season yet. Just thinking about it, I have to agree with you. And I, I we haven't even heard the stories and had the adventure yet. So Yeah, just, just the buildup going. We're probably going to get up there and, you know, we've got weather that we have to contend with. It rains like 200 inches a year up there yeah. or something. Uh, looking at the, the forecast for the next 14 days, we've got a good window for, uh, tomorrow, which is when we actually fly in, uh, it's supposed to be nice tomorrow and nice Wednesday, Wednesday's opening day. And then after that, it's rain every day through the 15th of September. (laughs) So we will be, uh, testing rain gear. We'll be testing, uh, shelters. We'll be testing everything you can think of. Yeah. Did you see when Clay Hayes won season eight of Alone that when he I got did. done, he only weighed 140 pounds? That could yeah. be you guys. No, we're only there for 11 days. I did think about getting rid of about half my food because we can shoot five wolves. We can shoot as yeah. many porcupines as we want. We can shoot a whole bunch of ptarmigan, a whole bunch of grouse each day. Yeah. And all of that so, we can hunt with just a license with no tags. So I thought, man. I'm going to go up there and just take a little bit of food and then force myself to eat blueberries and porcupine bellies for a couple weeks. Well, I've spent a lot of time in the subalpine of Alaska. You know how many grouse I've seen up there in my multiple <laughs> trips? Uh, seen a anybody... couple, they, they call them hooters up there, uh, not to be mistaken with the restaurant. Uh, that's what <laughs> they call them in Alaska, hooters. Uh, are those deskies up there, They've got a bunch. They, uh, in the regulations, it says they have like three different species of grouse. Uh huh. Yeah, they got spruce grouse. Yeah, they got all kinds of stuff. So, I have seen one band of ptarmigan in my time above the subalpine. I have never seen a porcupine, but I have seen scads and scads of Sitka blacktail there. Yeah. So that's you we aren't get, we aren't that, getting a Sitka tag. We we should. And uh, we've been advised to because there's some really big bucks. Yeah. But 
with two elk tags, I don't want to get distracted chasing a deer. And we're going to have plenty of meat to pack if we get even one elk down. So, Well, what you do is you look at Donnie and say, hey, Donnie, you know that under Alaska law, you can use the more expensive tag for a lesser <laughs> price tag. You go over there and shoot that sick of blacktail because we're about ready to starve out here. <laughs> and that will be uh, the last day or two. If we aren't finding elk, I will uh, absolutely switch gears and try to remember where we saw the big bucks at. All right. Now, that's going to be fun. Uh, yeah. On an island about, let's see, I'd say maybe 30 miles from where you're going to be. No, probably 50 miles. Uh, we are on a black bear hunt, and my buddy Bart says, oh, I found a little mule deer over there on the edge of the beach, all washed <laughs> up and rotten. Kind of a non-typical thing. I said, what? So he brings it back to camp, and I'm just about doing flips and handstands, and he's like, what? what? It's just a little guy. I'm like, that's the biggest Sitka blacktail I've ever seen in my life. Wow. It was a non-typical. And he threw it back up in the brush. So our airplane comes to get us. I'm like, Bart, what are you going to do with that that uh, deadhead? I, I'm not hauling that little thing around. I said, where did you throw it? He said, up there over the hill. So I run over there. I found it. I brought it back, took it over to the Boone and Crockett Club in Missoula, and it scored as the number six all-time non-typical wow. Sitka blacktail. And it, it the the rodents had chewed on it for a year or so. So it, it didn't work out that, uh, you know, where it would have if, if it was the day, you, you know, or you know, yeah. the same year that he washed up. But... So I donated it to the Head and Horn Collection in the Boone and Crockett Club. But that's how big of Sitka Blacktails you can find around there. Wow. So you'll find a great big one. That is cool. But I know you're not the least bit interested in that. I'm trying, <laughs> no. I'm, I'm trying to give you something else to distract you, Corey. But, <laughs> you know, I am not easily distracted. Uh, no. Do, 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 do you want me to distract you with some of these listener questions we've got in the last couple of weeks? Yeah, I'd love to. All right. <clears throat> um, here's some guy. Uh, I'm not going to say his name. He says, all right, guys, this is a deep question as it is meant to be. As both of you being known people in the elk hunting world, I want you to ponder on this answer for, to the following question, and would love to hear both of your answers on the podcast. Wow, I'm if already a little, little concerned. Uh, <laughs> I know. I, I bet you uh, but at the end of his name, he's got like PhD. Duh, yeah. duh, duh, but anyhow, uh, if you have, let's see, if consistent elk hunting success is made up of many different things that add up to 100%, well, that's a good start. Yeah, the sum of the parts was always 100%. And substantially, that 100% is what equals your success. If you had to eliminate 80% of that and only focus on 20% to get you that success, what 20% would you focus on? I hope this makes sense. Wow. That's a deep question. So yeah. basically, the way I interpreted that was, if I am only going to put in 20% of the work, which areas should I put the... Yeah. the work into yeah Yeah. Hmm. what do you think well here's how i've always broke it down i said that elk hunting is about 75 percent just hard work and not giving up 
It's about 20% knowledge and experience and about 5% luck, either really good luck or really bad luck. (laughs) And know that really good luck can override the other 95% if you've just been sitting in camp smoking cigarettes and one walks by, you know. Sometimes that happens. And then there's sometimes where the 5% could be terrible bad luck. And no matter how experienced you are, how much effort you've put in, how hard you've tried, you're pre-scouting, you're e-scouting. If that 5%, all of a sudden you get a full moon with 105 degree temperatures, that's just bad luck. And it's going to override the other 95%. So... I, I don't know if I could break it down. I, you have no control over that 5%. So I, I don't know what 20% I'd focus on. <laughs> Would I you focus know, on the knowledge and experience? That takes years and years and years. Yeah. So I guess I'd, I'd just focus on 20% being hard work, even though I think it takes 75% hard work. Yeah, hard work is a, is a huge part of it. And I I read a quote somewhere that said uh, only 10% of the population has ambition. And everyone has desire, but only 10% have ambition. And I think the difference is that is, you know, we all want to be successful, but only 10% are willing to put in the work needed to consistently achieve that success. And I think that can be said, you know, for hunting, for all sorts of different things. Um, But yeah, I I think you're absolutely right that if you were going to work on, focus on one area, it would be building up the mental strength to not quit. And I think physical conditioning would be a part of that because the better shape you're in, the more area you're able to cover, the higher chances of an encounter, uh, physical conditioning is going to bring you mental toughness, uh, some of those things that are, you know, a necessary part of consistent success, I think. So uh, physical conditioning would probably be in there for me. Um, I would study as much about elk behavior as I could. Uh, Like you said, that experience and knowledge, a lot of it can only be learned out there in the woods. Uh, But there's a lot of stuff you can learn, you know, just thermals, mountain thermals, and understanding them, understanding how the elk use the thermals to stay alive, uh, understanding the needs of the elk, understanding, you know, bedding areas and those sort of things that, you know, you really can do, you can do a lot of studying on that without being in the woods. So those would be two things I would certainly, you know, look at. You've also got proficiency with your weapon, which is important. Um, You've got gear, making sure you've got your gear dialed in. Uh, you know, there's just a lot of a lot of those pieces that go to add up to that hundred percent success. But if I was to tell someone to start somewhere, uh, it would be probably physical conditioning to build that mental fortitude and learn as much about elk behavior as you can. Yeah, I I would probably go to that same spot. It's uh, I'd say when elk hunting gets tough, it's a mental game more than it is anything. And yeah. just prepare yourself for not giving up and go and go and go and know that the time you let your guard down, when things look the least likely to have something happen, that's when an encounter is going to be there. Yep. And if you don't have the mental fortitude to keep your mind sharp, when that encounter happens and you're thinking about, you know, life back at the office or, you know, the, the, 
your stock portfolio or whatever it might be, that's <laughs> inevitably, it seems like that's when opportunity arises and someone's not going to be able to take advantage of it. And I say that because I've been there. I've done that yep. before. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times success has come on the last day of the hunt or the last evening of the hunt. Even after, you know, I've thrown in the towel mentally and thought I'm not even going to go out and I'm just going to take camp down or whatever. Uh, I can remember being in Oregon several years ago and I had a, a draw tag that took 10 years to draw. And we had seen a few decent bulls, but it was just tough. Those bulls had been harassed. They had been shot at. They had been shot. We were chasing one big bull that had an arrow in its neck. Um, they were just just super hard to get close to. And, you know, we'd, we'd had a good hunt, but it wasn't what it was billed up to be. And I got reception up on top of a ridge. It was about, I don't know, 1 o'clock in the afternoon on the last day of the hunt. And I texted my wife and just said, well... Looks like we need to buy a half a beef this year. I'm coming home empty-handed. And she replied to me and said <laughs> something to the effect of nice attitude quitter or something like that. And that was, I mean, that was it. It was just, you know, <laughs> way to give up early. And, you know, you still have an afternoon hunt, way to be a quitter, you know, something like that. <laughs> I, I killed an elk an hour later. And I literally was eating the last of my M&Ms in my backpack, ready to head back to camp and seriously take down camp. And when she said that, I thought, you know what, that's right. I, I don't have to be home till tomorrow. I've got season until the end of the day. I might as well stick it out and shot an elk. That's happened, I can't tell you how many times, six or eight times probably, where I've shot an elk the last day or the last evening of the last day of a hunt. And it all comes down to sticking it out, persevering. Yeah, I think I think anyone who's elk hunted a lot has quite a few of those things that could uh, uh, happen that way. Yeah, you know things like you said, you're eating the last of your M and M's, kind of kicking the dirt, and an opportunity comes. And are you going to be mentally, first of all, are you going to be physically there? Or are you going to be on the ride home? And if you are physically there, are you going to be mentally ready when that chance is there? Yep. So. Yeah, good question. Well, that guy yeah. must have been, he, he was either an accountant or an attorney, I think. Uh, I would say he's an attorney. <laughs> I'm going to defend the, the, the accountants here. Uh, <laughs> since he started talking about physical conditioning, this this listener sent this email, and it's related to physical conditioning, and I think it's kind of funny. I honestly love the podcast, but I was wondering if you can talk about physical conditioning. Everybody paints this picture that it can be a barrier to elk hunting. Can you explain how spike camping can save a little or calling from the truck? Can you explain how spike camping can save a little or calling from the truck? A little what? I'm not sure. Anyhow. A little energy maybe, yeah. Yeah. I was watching Destination Elk, and Corey is eating Oreos and calling at the same time. Should people be worried about it if they are avid hunters in other states? Corey, please do a segment on nutrition on the mountain in the 4570 Mountain Ops program. <laughs> it, probably uh, does, probably, it probably doesn't include uh, lemon Oreos, but my... Oh, uh, lemon Oh my oh. goodness! I'm a yeah. I 
I only eat them during elk season. That's kind of my thing. It's like, hey, I'm, I'm holding out because I would eat piles of them throughout the year if I let myself. So, yeah, we uh, we we take a package of lemon Oreos with us uh, on a hunt. And in Destination Elk last year, we had it, and we were making some jokes about it. Uh, but, yeah, I, th- I think – so here's my deal. I work out to stay in shape, but I also like ice cream. I like lemon Oreos, you know, and I think there there has to be some moderation in those things because I could work out all I wanted. And if I ate a, a quart of ice cream every night, you know, it'd be a net zero or probably a, a negative benefit <laughs> there. But, um, you know, I, I do. And I used to say I, I work out an extra five minutes so I can have a bowl of ice cream at night. Um, so, I mean, I, I think there's some truth to that. Honestly, I work out because I hate suffering in September. And okay. if I don't work out, September becomes, it's a suck fest. It's a, it's a suffer fest because it is, we push ourselves so hard. We're carrying weight on our backs every minute of every day and we cover a lot of country. And so physical conditioning is important. Uh, that doesn't mean that you have to be running marathons and, you know, winning CrossFit and triathlons and things like that. But I think it's important to keep your cardiovascular level up to make sure that you are staying stretched out, that your muscles are used to reacting. Because last thing you want to do is get out there and pull a muscle the first day that you take off running after an elk, uh, things like that. So can somebody from another state come to a, a Rocky Mountain state and be successful if they're out of shape? Sure. I would say that your chances are far better of being successful if you are in shape. I think your chances of enjoying the hunt are even greater than that uh, if you are in shape. So for me, I work out usually three times a week, you know, in a, in a home gym, uh, lifting weights, but not lifting heavy weights, just lifting weights. And I do a full body workout pretty much every time. Uh, this summer, I did concentrate more on my legs. Uh, just knowing that I was going to Alaska and it was going to be super steep and we we're going to have super heavy packs. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> I, I know I didn't do enough, but we'll see if I did more than I usually do. Uh, this time tomorrow, I'll know. So, <laughs> uh, Well, it's. I like the, the way that you've explained that, Corey. You made it very relatable and doable for someone who, you know, let, let's face it, a lot of us have a job or own a business or we're the, you know, volunteer in our community or for our church or for our school or whatever. And we don't have time. We don't have two hours a day to be at the gym. And that's a little bit of why I kind of have this side stick about Dairy Queen is I want people to know that, look, I drive a desk for a living and I have a weakness called Dairy Queen. But, if I go and hike for even an hour every night, I can maintain some level of of fitness that allows me to get around the mountains. And the, the, I think you said it best when you said the, the greater your conditioning, the more fun you're probably going to have. That's a, that's like someone should make a T-shirt about that because <laughs> uh, it's, it's absolute fact. But to this person's point, uh, you know, does it discourage people or, or does it, you know, cause them to feel like 
you're up against the impossible. No. Be in as good a shape as you can, diet, exercise, you know, the, the normal things. And uh, hopefully they'll kill an elk and they'll have yep. fun. I, uh, and I've heard people say, you know, I know a guy that's out of shape and, you know, he's got a big beer belly and he kills an elk every year and he's more successful than anybody I know. And I'm like, that's, that's not the point. Yes, he is. But do you think he would be more successful if he was in better shape? Do you think he would enjoy it more? And don't compare yourself to somebody else that might be out of shape. Think about your success when you're out of shape compared to your success when you're in shape. And I don't think there's anybody that could ever argue that you're, a, you know, you, it's just a fact. You're a better hunter. You're going to be more successful if you're in shape than if you're not. Yeah, absolutely. That's and anyone who wants to argue that, let's give them the phone number of Mark Zuckerberg at Facebook. They do a lot of arguing. <laughs> Over on Facebook, they do a lot of arguing. So, why did I say that? I don't know. You, we you, could just... I'm going I'm to get some demerits for that one, Corey. <laughs> uh, uh, you, you, can, you, you ready for a tangent here? You want to know a why tangent. I said that? Yeah. yeah, a tangent. So... Out on our other platforms, the ones that Randy Newberg, Fresh Tracks, on your own adventure stuff, uh, this week we are launching a new platform. And part of it is because of Facebook. Not, I don't want to say because of it, but this is a complete tangent. It has nothing to do with outcome. Uh, but I've over the last five years, I've come to realize that when it comes to content and information and stuff, you either pay with your time through advertising, you know, you watch, you sit through a bunch of ads, and or maybe a combination of your privacy and personal information, which Facebook excels at, or you just pay with money. Like, here, five bucks, don't bother me with ads, and don't steal my information and chase me around the internet. <laughs> and uh, so... I've decided I'm going to offer the third option. of if you, if you don't want ads and you don't want to deal with Zuckerberg and, and company, I got the option for you. But it's I'm sitting in my studio, and over here on the whiteboard, it's Fresh Tracks Plus. Uh, and that's what made me think of that. So, Very cool. So where, where do we go? It has to... nothing to do with anything. No. It, well, it does. Where do we go to, to check that out? Oh, you go to freshtracks.tv. Freshtracks.tv. Yeah, cool. I'm going there so, now. That's. I knew I you were working on something, but I didn't know you were releasing it already. That's. Uh, I'm I didn't out. know we were either. I was in Nevada <laughs> the last two weeks, and I came back, and the people in charge said, "Hey, we're ready to roll on that." I'm like, "Oh, does that mean we got to pay the the plat the hardware company and and the the computer guy who built all this? I got to pay him now." They're like, "Yeah, we got your checkbook." <laughs> <clears throat> All right, I better turn the lights on then and start paying some bills. Here. But, oh well. So well, I, I, I'm I'm sorry that I get off these. You know, can you imagine what my wife has to deal with with me? She'll be talking about the weather, and I'll bring up you know toads and warts or something. She'll look at me like, "What does that have to do with the weather?" <laughs> kind of like on a podcast, you're talking about working out and everything else. And I decide I want to pick on the Facebook people. So, But anyhow, if you want to argue, go to Facebook. What Corey told you was a fact right there. That's not arguable <laughs> on Facebook. That is a fact. You in better shape are going to have more fun on your elk hunt than you not in good shape. Right? 
and and in the words of Donald Trump, and everybody knows it. Yeah. <laughs> Man, now we're really getting into tangents. This podcast could go. Uh, let, let me let me take another listener question before you and I get too far out in the weeds here. You ready? <laughs> I'm ready. All right. I have a general tag for Wyoming this year. I am limited on when I can take leave from work this year and will only be able to hunt October 11th through October 19th. With different units having different seasons, should I scout the units that open prior to the 15th opener and then hunt starting on the 15th? Or should I hunt all the units that are open through the 14th before considering moving to a unit that opens on the 15th? Wow. That's nice to have options. In other words, would you scout for four days and then hunt for five days? Or would you just hunt all nine days? Ooh. If it was one or two days, it would make the decision easier. But four days in a unit, hmm. I'm hunting all nine days. Yeah, I was going to say, I think I'd probably hunt in the units that are open for those first four days and then move to the other units if I had to. But yeah, I, yeah, scouting for four days and only hunting for five is not maximizing uh, hunting time, encounters. <clears throat> right. Like scouting for two days and hunting for seven, I could be on board with that. Yep. But, uh, but the good news is he's got a Wyoming tag and he's got a lot of options available to him because of the way Wyoming has their season structures. Exactly. It's almost They're as liberal as Montana. Well, no, in Montana, we just hate elk. We, we hunt and shoot elk. You know, pretty soon we're going to be able to shoot them from helicopters, hand grenades, dynamite, and who knows what else. <laughs> You'll be able to shoot elk with helicopters from Helena. Yeah. I mean, we just, our, our legislature, or our, our Fish, Wildlife, and Parks Commission, so if you're elk hunting in Montana and you have a tag this year, enjoy it because they've declared full-on war against elk here in Montana. Before it was just kind of let's, you know, soften them up with a, a bunch of artillery to the beachhead. <laughs> now this commission said, let, let's get serious about this killing elk stuff. So we have these things called shoulder seasons in Montana where we've mm-hmm. been shooting elk in Montana now for about two weeks. And people are like, what? The regulations say that the season opens September 4th archery. Oh, yeah. But in a lot of units, they're already shooting cows and some bulls yeah wow yeah well then we we start shooting them way into i think now we're going to shoot them into march but it used to be only on private land because we're going to shoot the ones that were creating damage well our commission met about 10 days ago and the 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 comments were like 300 against this idea and one shill and one uh, outfitter got up in support of it. And so it's like 300 to two against it. And they voted four to one to allow us to now go and kill cow elk on public land in these shoulder seasons. Wow. So, yeah, people are going to be saying, where did all the elk go? Now, they, now are these, they're, are they're, these rifle hunts? The, these are rifle hunts. Yeah. Wow. 
So they're, they're going to be blaming it on wolves and grizzly bears. Well, guess what? Those wolves and grizzly bears are driving Ford F-150s, Silverados, and Dodge Rams. <laughs> Two-leg, two-legged wolves and grizzly bears. So I, I don't know. As long as there's an elk on the landscape of Montana, we have a legislature, and now we have a commission that believes, you know, that's too many. Yeah. No matter what it is. Mm. Yeah. So sorry about that. No. It's uh, so Montana's elk hunting has been declining and it's about ready to decline in a big, big way. And mm. uh, not just because of that, some other policies they're implementing. It's like, well, all right. I guess this is what happens when you let the, the elected people in charge of things. So, <laughs> oh, well. It doesn't matter. I mean, it's it's been going on through multiple administrations, uh, left and right, and R and D. It doesn't matter. Uh, they all seem to have the same disdain for elk. It's well, I don't have it. I'm going to go chain myself to an elk. How's that? <laughs> I do like that. <laughs> Isn't that what they used to do in the logging world? If yeah. You stop something. You go chain yourself to a piece of equipment. Yeah, chain yourself to a skitter and. Yeah. Yeah. I'll go chain myself to a big bull elk. I like the thought of that. That that could be my first viral video. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> big bull elk dragging me across the cactus of central Montana. <laughs> a bunch of bunch of people out there in August trying to shoot at you. Yeah. Oh man. All right. I changed that. I forgot that we're shooting elk now, so I better <laughs> I better not do that. Yeah. Anyhow. I just thought people would want to know that little tidbit of yep. Because when you brought up Montana, I'm like, well, let, let, let me fill people in on what's going on here in Montana. <laughs> so all of our elk, a smart elk would head to Idaho or Wyoming uh, if and get I was the hell elk, out of Montana. If I was an elk, I wouldn't go to Wyoming. I'd go to Idaho. If I was an elk, I'd live in Idaho. There you go. Oh. Well, that's probably what's going to happen. But you want another question from a listener? Yeah, let's take another. Yeah, you, you don't want any more Randy's tangent. <laughs> I can assure you. Uh, I'm a new hunter, and I'm in the early stages of the hunting paradigm. I don't have the experience to be picky if given an opportunity to take an elk. Trust me, I'm going to take it. That doesn't mean I don't have a target. I'm preparing my body and mind, thanks to Elk 101 and the University of Elk Hunting, to harvest a mature bull. However, after reading the Starkey experimental findings, mature bulls, five to six years old, are more efficient breeders, leading to more successful calf births. And knowing that, the thought crossed my mind that the ideal target may be more nuanced than just a mature bull. I'm considering setting my personal parameters to something like a spike or an old regressing bull and not one of those prime age bulls of five to six. Am I way overanalyzing this study? Question mark. <laughs> yes. Yes. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you know what's great about this, this question? One, the person has been out doing a lot of research and a lot of reading and trying to learn a lot about elk. That's what, that's what I gathered from this is, this person has been reading research, trying to learn what elk need at certain times of the year. If they're reading the studies from the Starkey Forest, they are reading some really good elk information. It sounds like he's a subscriber to your University of Elk course. 
I wonder if he used promo code Outdoc. I bet he did. Okay. <laughs> Most that. people do when they sign up. <laughs> okay. Uh, and he's ta- he knows this information about what happens when mature bulls aren't doing the breeding and all that stuff. So that's yeah. why I pulled the question. As I, I think the guy put a lot of thought into this, and you can tell that he's put a lot of thought into his research. But I do think when it comes to what elk you want to take, don't overthink it to that degree. Yeah. No, and I, I think... I had a a lady when I worked back in a cubicle many years ago in the engineering world, and she was, you know, just very anti-hunting, very. And, you know, she'd give me a hard time any time that I took time off, you know, were you out killing animals again? And, and, you know, I respect her opinion on it and everything. But one day she put a, uh, she printed off an article and put it in my, uh, my little mailbox there at work and tried to make it anonymous, but I knew who put it in there, but it was a a report and it was from the anti-hunting side that said, uh, trophy hunters are causing a major decline in breeding efficiency in, uh, the, you know, basically the, the more fit animals are getting shot and the less, uh, the, the more inferior animals are the ones doing the breeding. So those genetics are getting passed along. And that was her whole argument against trophy. And I said, well, I'm not a trophy hunter to begin with. I think we had had a conversation once about how much money, you know, some of these say auction tags or somebody going to Africa and shooting a lion, you know, the money that they pay to do that pays for years and years of, of research and conservation for for the other animals. And so she had brought that up. And so I looked into it quite a bit. And there's no doubt that a bull elk in his prime is going to be a, you know, five, six, seven, eight-year-old elk in most places. You know, a seven-year-old elk in Idaho is different than a seven-year-old elk in Arizona. But for the most part, you know, that they, they need to live a few years to get into their prime, to become mature, to become a dominant bull, to be able to uh, collect a harem and, and breed. And if that bull gets shot before he has a chance to breed, yeah, there's a chance that a younger subordinate bull will come in and breed those cows. But it's DNA that's getting passed on. It's not the size of the antlers of the bull that breeds the cow that determines the quality of the offspring there. It's it's DNA. And that little two-and-a-half-year-old bull that all of a sudden gets thrown into the rut party and breeds a bunch of cows because his dad or his grandpa got shot a week earlier, it's still the same DNA that's that's being used there. So, you know, I, I wouldn't overthink too much about that. You know, in an enclosed area such as Starkey or something like that, yeah, there might be some, some things you could look at and say that if all of these five to eight-year-old bulls were being you know, reduced by 50% each year. What does that do to the, the herd dynamics? And yeah, there, there could be some changes, but in the real world where more than half of the people are just tickled to death to shoot a spike or the first two and a half year old elk they see, and there's nothing at all in my mind wrong with either of those. Uh, a lot of people are more than happy to shoot a cow. A lot of people hold out and don't shoot anything unless it's 300 inches. I mean, everybody has their own idea. And I think that the the, the matrix of all of that, the combination of all those things coming together is what makes biology and management of, of 
big game animals in each state work. And one person deciding to shoot one that's between five and eight years old or one person deciding to shoot a spike or one that's 10 years old and regressing really isn't going to change the dynamics of, of the management within that state. No. <clears throat> and I will say this. Anybody who eats uh, gets the chance to eat a spike <laughs> elk or a young cow elk, they're going to start really having second guesses about why am I shooting those seven and eight year old bulls? Yep. <laughs> With that being said, I've never had a bad elk. Like I've never, you know, no, some I of the old timers would be like, Oh, you don't shoot a six point bull. You'll be eating on it all winter and you won't be able to chew through it. And I've never had that issue. Big mature bulls, if they're taken care of taste great. Uh, but there is a difference between a spike and a, and a seven-year-old bull when it's sitting on the table there. Both are good, but I think that uh, 99% of us would choose the spike every time. Yeah, uh, I'm right there with you. But I will also tell you, if all bulls are legal and there's a spike standing next to a seven- or eight-year-old bull, I'm not going to lie. I know where my crosshairs are going to the <laughs> seven- or eight-year-old bull. I'm sorry. That's yep. just... I, I I don't know what what is wired in our systems to look at it that way, but that's how I'm wired. And uh, it's the same as if we it, go to a we go to a plate of pie and we go to scoop a pie. We aren't looking for the smallest piece there. If we're going to have pie, we oh. want a good good representative piece. And, <laughs> Man, now you got me thinking about calling my wife and say, "Honey." You know that peach pie you talked about over the weekend? You're going to get that done before I head out elk hunting next week? <laughs> I know. She's going to say, get your mother to cook you a peach pie, pal. <laughs> so me and Michael, we're heading out on our hunt. I'm coming down to Idaho to pick up some llamas on Thursday. And we're rolling out of here on Friday. We'll have camp set up Friday night. And we got eight days of fun ahead of us after that. Yeah. Don't you wish you could take some llamas to Alaska and get them through that jungle? You know, if we had llamas, I would be able to take all of my gear in one trip. Yeah, yeah. I do wish. I do wish. <laughs> well, don't be coveting my llamas. I got four of them. Yeah, four would be perfect for me. We'd need yeah, more than that. For... Right along, right, camp right along this water course where they're going to get water, and there's going to be sweet clover. The elk are going to be bugling. And I probably won't even break a sweat on this hunt. <laughs> <laughs> well, that sounds like a plan. <laughs> I, it'll be completely opposite of mine. I will be sweating the entire time, and if I'm not sweating, I'll have rainwater running down my back. And I'm going to be really excited if we see an elk. Mm -hmm. No, you should be. Hey, yeah. I, I will say, Corey, too, you're great. You, have, you and whoever else has that tag. I've grabbed a hold of what if I painted the most difficult elk hunt I can think of, you guys are going after it. I agree. I agree. So, well, everything else I see easy after that. You'll be walking <laughs> around those steep mountains. You guys got these steep mountains in Idaho. You'll be strolling through that stuff. You'll be like, oh, this is walking apart, man. So, <laughs> uh, uh, <clears throat> all right. Next question. Hey, guys, love the podcast. Uh, I don't believe this part. Nobody does it better than the two of you. That's a line of BS. He's, he's kind of <laughs> buttering us up here. That's right. Uh, I hear a lot of talk about how to call elk, but I never seem to hear 
much about when to call and what call to make. Do we got to send this guy a subscription to your University of Elk Hunting course? Well, it's definitely, there's so much that goes into when to call, what call to make. You know, I mean, you can look at it a million different ways. And, and in the online course, we do break down several different ways. But being an engineer, you know, I'm all about efficiency and, and simplicity. And so I really do think there is a, a simple method and it's not going to work every time, but I think we can simplify elk calling so that it doesn't have to be as overwhelming for a lot of people. And it, it does. A lot of people are overwhelmed and don't even want to call because of uh, how complicated they think it is. Mm-hmm. Me too. I think that a lot of times. I'm sitting there with the bugle in my mouth. I'm like, oh, I'm getting ready to bugle. Should I cow call? No, I'm going to bugle. I like that. I, I feel better when I bugle. Well, should I do a location bugle? <laughs> should I do a? Should I sound like a big old boy, or should I sound like a wimpy little guy? I I mean, I can really get myself. I'm with this guy. I can wrap myself in some pretty tight knots over what to do. Yep. So, what's a simplified method? Tell me. You haven't told me this before. Oh, I have. I I'm sure I have. I'm sure we've even talked about it in a previous podcast. But we we're getting up there in numbers of podcasts. So no, we're pushing seventy. Yeah. Oh. Well, I think uh, for me, I've boiled it down to, you know, and it's like everything. You, you can talk to somebody and say, this is what to do. But when you understand why to do it, it covers so many more different situations. It becomes so much more effective. And, and the why of it for elk is, why does an elk come to a call? And when you break that down, it really becomes pretty easy because if a bull elk's coming into your calls, he either wants to breed a cow in some fashion. You know, he's either coming in to collect a cow for his harem for breeding season, or he thinks that there's a cow that's ready to be bred and he's coming in, but it's all revolving around the the desire to breed. Or he's coming in because he feels there's another bull there that is threatening him in some way, whether it's threatening to take a cow, whether it's threatening his dominance, whether it's threatening him with a fight. So basically you have to appeal to one of those emotions. You either have to make that bull think there's a cow there that he needs to to visit with, or there's a bull there that's that's a, a contender and he needs to come in and settle it. And when you break it down like that, it really becomes your calling just needs to elicit that response out of that bull. So if you're going to use cow calls, make him, give him a reason. Don't just sit there and give a couple hoochie mama blows, you know, give him some cow sounds that make him think that, that cow needs some attention. Yeah. Yeah. Let me come on over here. I'll be right there, darling. Hold my beer, boys. I'm, I'm right. over there. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And really I do. I, I mean, I liken it to human emotion. You know, if it's the same thing, you've got to, you know, if you appeal to that bull enough, he's going to, he's going to come in and want to breed and on the on the flip side if he's wanting to fight it's the same as a human you've got to get in his face and you've got to challenge him and when you do that it's his natural reaction to you know to stand up for his for his pride and his place on the top of the mountain there and he's going to come in and do something about it so you can't go out there and bugle timid you can't go out there and just cow call with no emotion you know every 30 seconds on some routine You've got to talk to that elk. You've got to communicate with them in a way that portrays and conveys the message you're trying to send to them. 
Well, so you've really, given us one one or two options that sound like yeah. a bull or sound like a cow, but whatever you're going to do, don't do it half-baked. Yep. Get with the program. That's right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's like when, when I, the few times I'm able to get a bull all wound up, I always call it my hold my beer calling session. In other words, <laughs> I want him to be so mad that he looks at the girls and says, hold my beer, girls. I'll be right back. I'm going to go, I'm going to go take care of this guy. He's a nuisance. And, uh, that's the time when I feel like, all right, I'm really giving it every emotion and, and pitch and tone and the power I can. And it usually works when I get really emotional like that. Yep. And I just try to think of it in the context you say, if that if that bull was standing at the dance hall, am I in his face enough where he's just going to say, all right, hold my beer. I'll be right back. This won't take very long. <laughs> that's, what, that's, that's what I'm trying to get out of him. So, yep. hmm, one of two options. Even, even a simple guy like me is so easy even an accountant could handle that. <laughs> <clears throat> uh. I like that. That was a good bit, good bit of information. In other words, don't overcomplicate what you're going to do, but when you decide what you're going to do, do it with vigor and gusto. Yep. Okay. That's not a T-shirt, but too long no. to be a T-shirt. But... <laughs> All right. <clears throat> so this guy says, good afternoon, guys. Yep, it is afternoon because I drug my feet long enough getting moved into my new office. Uh, question, and I don't think I've heard this discussed from anyone. I noticed that most of your hunts out there are, f- are for five to seven days. My group is coming all the way from Michigan to Montana with general tags, and we are allocating 14 to 17 days. We are rookies to backcountry hunting, but is that too long in a single shot to stay out there? We plan to head to town every so often to restock, but the meat and potatoes of it are, we planning to be out there for too long? Are we planning to be out there for too long, both for sanity and safety reasons? No. No. I, I mean... You know, if 10 days is good, 14 is gooder. I was going to say, sanity reasons, the longer you stay, the more sane you're going to be. Yeah. And safety, you know, I I hope that there's not a safety concern, you know, with them staying out for 14 to 17 days. I, I can't imagine what the safety concern would be. Um, so, yeah, more is more is better. Yeah. Leave your phone at home or lock it in the truck or be like my camera guy and put it behind the back tire of the Ford Raptor in the dark and drive over it. Did, it, did I tell you what happened last week in Nevada? No. Nope. I bought all the crew, all four of them, I bought them brand new camera sets. I mean, everybody's got their own everything because when you have four production crews, stuff would come back here and be broken. I'd be like, who broke that and put it on the shelf? And they'd tell me, everyone's pointing at, you know, they're pointing at the janitor or something. I'm like, yeah, right. So I bought them all their own packages. Go to Nevada, archery meal deer, get that hunt done, swap out camera crews, going to do pronghorn. The first morning, four in the morning, we're rolling out of the hotel. I'm backing out. They're like, what's that? And as I back up, I look, 
And over on the passenger side, I can see the remnants of a brand new GoPro 9 and accessories that has never taken a second of footage. <laughs> and I look to the two camera guys and say, anybody missing a GoPro this morning? I'm like, huh, oh, mine's in the truck. I'm like, well, that's a hell of a deal. We got a third one laying out there that was underneath the tire of the truck when I'm backed up this morning. <laughs> <sighs> Needless to say, it was a long hour and a half driving to the trailhead that morning. Pretty quiet. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, uh, oh. How did I get on that one? That uh, been something that triggered me to that one. I'm not sure. <laughs> I can't remember. No, that's that's why. That's see. No, I'm not going to say that. Really, these guys are super, super good at what they do. I mean, face it, they got to work with me as talent, and somehow they got to make it presentable. So that's a super hard job. Uh, but if you gave them a rubber hammer and 10 feet of logging chain, they'd have that broke into one foot segments of logging chain within a half hour. That's how talented they are at breaking stuff. Uh. Well, so. I've got a couple. I've got a couple of children that are going to make excellent camera people someday. Really? Yeah. yeah. So, if you're really prone to break stuff and don't give a dang about it, and you just hand it off to the boss and say, "Hey, this got broke today," uh, you'd make a good camera guy. Yeah. Who broke so. it? I, I don't know. It wasn't I mean, me. I just yeah. found it like that. It was out on yeah. the steps. Yeah, Somebody it was like left if it there's four, there. yeah, four kids there. Hey, who who left the door open and the dog ran out in the street and got run over today? Which of you four kids did that? No, no, wasn't me. No, not me. No, no. So. And see, my kids don't just stop there. They assign blame yeah. to one of the other siblings, oh, even the one, really? that, even the one that did it. You know, uh-huh. the one that the one that did it. He's like, oh no, it was her. It was. It was her. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what got me onto that little sidebar tangent there. There was something you said that was, I was going to make a, an actual valuable point instead of just some storyline. Now I forgot what it was. <laughs> that just goes to show you, you don't, you don't need valuable points here. Just storylines work. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Well, what else we got? What's, what's on your mind? We, we not, now we know it was on some of the listeners' minds. You got anything that, we, you got to share before we kick off season because this podcast is going to drop. You and I are going to be out in the middle of nowhere. Yep. When when this podcast drops, which is good because when people call to get their money back, we won't be here to answer the call. So. <laughs> uh, well, if you swap, stop by my office, the crew will probably give you my cell phone number and tell you my home address and say, "Oh, he's out there. Go, go see him." <laughs> That'll so. delay Randy a little longer. We'll be here picking up the pieces of the camera we just dropped. Mm-hmm. There you go. And the one guy said, well, at least it wasn't one of the brand new Sony A7s. Oh, yeah, at least. Way to look on well, the bright side. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, because it's a long walk home from Eureka, Nevada to Bozeman, Montana. Uh, that, that's what it would have been. But uh, with elk hunting this year, uh, I'm I'm really going to give it my best honest effort in archery season. Yeah. I mean, this is like eight days of just nothing, no no phone, no anything. I'm just, oh, I, that's what got me on it, <laughs> telling the guy to lock his phone up in the truck. And I was getting ready to say, or do what my camera guy's doing, just drive over things, you know? There you uh, go. Then you don't got to worry about being bothered by the phone. The office won't be able to get a hold of you. 
you know, the boss will have to leave you alone. Yep. When you finally get a new phone, when you get back to Michigan, you'll have, you know, 87 voicemails or something. Just delete them all so I didn't get them. Yep. So. Do you use a, a backcountry messenger, like uh, InReach or anything? I have an InReach, and Marcus has a Zolio. Dale has a Zolio. M- Michael and I both have InReaches. I'm about ready to go to the Zolio. Are I'm you? watching how Marcus does this. It's really slick. It's I like it better than the than the inreach. So huh. I'm I'm about ready to get rid of my inreach and drop my Garmin subscription and go to Azolio. And I I mean we don't get anything. we we have no association with either of those companies. I just I see how he's able to do it. And it's like, huh? There is a better mousetrap. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Are you bringing one to Alaska? Yeah, Donnie and John both have uh, InReach, and so they're bringing those. And I was just testing to make sure that I had their number so I could give it to my wife and sent a, a text to John's number, and a message popped up and says, this number has to text you first before it will receive your messages. Yep. And I thought, uh, I need that on my cell phone. <laughs> that way I don't have to accept messages from anybody that I didn't message first. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, isn't that the, that's a good idea? Yeah. Verizon or you know AT and T should have that option. Yeah. When receiving a text message, do you want this to be an auto reply? Yeah. And the auto reply is, "I'm sorry, but until I text you, I can't receive your text message." Yep. Thank you for your time today. <laughs> uh, uh, that would be awesome. So, yeah. What else you got for Elkons this year? Uh, we have we have a bunch. So yeah, we're gonna come back after Alaska, and I'll spend a few days hunting with my youngest too, and then uh, we're heading to a brand new unit in Idaho we've never hunted before, and we're just gonna try something new, and we're excited about just new landscape, new scenery. Uh, it's gonna be a little bit more open country than what we're used to, uh, higher elevation. And, you know, a lot of, again, uncertainties and unknowns, but definitely some anticipation. And then I'll come home and hunt the last few days of season uh, with my kiddos. And then Donnie and I are doing the uh, Outfitters for Hope hunt again. Uh, It'll be the first week of October. And then uh, rifle season opens the middle of October here in Idaho. And so if my kiddos haven't got their elk in archery season we'll be out chasing them with a rifle and if they happen to tag out donnie and i got uh some leftover resident or leftover non-resident elk tags here in idaho for rifle season so we'll uh we'll go out if we have time and then uh i've got a a mule deer rifle hunt in colorado in november wow you're gonna be busy yeah not as not as busy as Randy busy, but yeah, busy. Yeah. Well, I only have one elk tag this year, which I don't mean that you know weird, you know, like oh pity me. But this year <laughs> I'm so busy helping other people. Usually I pick a, a Colorado over the counter or some other second tag, second elk tag. This year the only tag I have is my Montana elk tag. Like huh. the only elk tag I have. Yeah. Um, so I'm helping I'm a, lot of, a lot of other people on elk hunts this year. So I'll get more than my dose of elk hunting, but uh, helping a lot of other people. So. That's cool. 
I was going to say, I thought you were going to take an opportunity to uh, remind us about your mountain goat tag and your moose tag. And no, I've, I've had so many threats of bodily harm since people found <laughs> out about that. It's like, put, put a cork in it, Randy. Someone's going to give you a tooth inventory here if you keep talking about that. Uh, but if I don't, I, so, you know, when we're doing this hunt next week, that's going to be on your destination elk series. Uh, I'm going to, I told Michael, he's going to be the first shooter. And the reason being is in my elk unit or my uh, moose unit, that's got some pretty decent elk hunting. So I'm going to have my bow with me in September. So it's like, yeah, if I'm out here moose hunting and I hear some bugling, I just might have to run over there and see who's, uh, who's raising a ruckus and maybe I'll get an arrow in one then. And yeah. If I don't get one then, I'm going to be in there mountain goat hunting a good portion of November and rifle season built in them. So, man, I, yeah, so it's going to be good after season. all that. I, yeah, I probably still won't get an elk this year <laughs> after all that. <laughs> oh, I bet that there's a there's always yeah. a chance. Yeah. No, I've, uh, there's a chance. we've got several comments you know we released the teaser for destination elk and showed the the seven teams who's uh who's all part of it and there were a lot of comments about team fresh tracks uh oh. not only getting it done but being the most colorful and entertaining group. <laughs> oh, no. well so. we'll be the most entertaining because we got four llamas with us yeah <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I hadn't spent a lot of time around Michael until we were in Big Sky, and Michael is a character. Michael's a treat. He, he's you know the, but when he's around me, he feels like he's got to be this straight arrow, and he's the most wonderful guy. So full of personality that it'll probably take me a day or two to get him loosened up in front of the camera, and uh, <laughs> I I hope I hope he's Michael. And not feeling like he's got to be some expectation. Because Michael, as just Michael, everybody loves him. And uh, yep. he has fun no matter what he's doing. And his, you don't have to look very far into his eyes to see how he's feeling. Whether he's really excited or disappointed with himself. or uh, it, It's going to be a ton of fun. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It's a place I haven't hunted for 10 years. I used to hunt it just about every year and with the show and all the stuff we do. It's just been so busy. I've only hunted it once in 10 years. So wow. I guess it'll be twice in 11 years after this week. So That's right. But, and then I'm taking a sweepstakes winner to New Mexico uh, pretty soon. RMEF will be announcing uh, upcoming every fall, I think October, November, and first part of December, they do the win a hunt with Randy sweepstakes. Keep your eyeballs out for that, folks, if you're interested. I, I tell them, I'm like, most having to hunt with me is probably a discouragement to most folks. <laughs> if you just said, you know, win an elk hunt, you'd probably have way more people signing up than when it's, oh, and you got to put up with Randy Newbert. Right? <laughs> uh, so they got, they'll be announcing those details pretty soon. But, Very cool. So trying to think what else we got to cover today Corey. i know you got to get packing so i don't mind uh cutting this short by about three minutes yeah no i'm uh 
going home and taking care of a couple last minute things. I do have everything packed and I'm sure I'll forget something, but I've made sure that I've got the essentials. I've got a license and a tag. I've got a bow, arrows, a release. Reindeer. Uh, well, you know, it, that'll be, it'll be very important, but uh, I, I do have it. Yeah. Okay. No rain gear, you're in trouble. It, it's uh, it's going to be wet. We're uh, yeah. we're taking a new prototype TP and stove with us to uh, to have a little yeah. area, like a community area where we'll eat and dry out clothes and things. Then we've got our little lightweight backpacking tents that I'll be sleeping in. Yeah, I I heard that on the prior podcast you did with Bryce from Peaks Equipment. Yeah, that uh, you're trying out some of their stuff. Yeah, they've got a, a new teepee and stove, so we're going to be the guinea pigs, and I think he's probably as nervous as I am. Just <laughs> Gosh, I'm sending these guys to the worst climate in the world for testing out something, and it's never been proven yet. Uh, yeah, you'll figure it out. Uh, I'm, um, I'm confident no in it. There. Yep. But didn't didn't elk season open? Archery elk didn't it open in? No, when when do you guys open in Idaho now? Today, yeah, today, right now. Okay. As I'm talking to you, it's opening day here, and I didn't even go out. Wow, Colorado's already open. Nevada's already open. Oregon's open. I've got Oregon a open. good Some buddy that shot Colorado. a Roosevelt bull a couple nights ago and FaceTimed Ooh. me as he was standing on. I mean, it literally was. He had just shot it. Oh. I got wow. to got to see it laying there, so I've already seen a dead elk. Archery in in Wyoming opens in two days. In Montana, it opens in five days. We're in it, Corey. Yep. The the it wait is, is over. I know. Thank goodness. Whew. It what went fast. It, it, some years it, it drags. This year it went fast. This last three or four days, I could have had. I I was ready, but before that, I was not any too ready. Yeah. Well, you guys are going to have a big story. You're going to have good luck. And I can't wait to hear it when you guys come back. I hope so. so Yep. You'll be the the first one. That way it's fresh and exciting and we'll just hit record. All right. Well, good luck up there, Corey. Good luck to you. And to everybody who's listening, good luck out there. And uh, we'll catch you next time. Yeah. Good luck, folks. Be safe.